I believe with all my heart and my brain, because there's data behind this, there are case studies behind this, that we can eliminate all traffic fatalities, not just people who ride bikes or walk, vulnerable users, but all traffic fatalities. And we can talk about that if you want. But I know it can be done. And that gives me a sense and my team a sense of self-efficacy and agency that what we want to accomplish is possible, right? Otherwise, I think there's this sense of futility, like what's the point? But we can make progress. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Relish Studio. Check them out on the web at relishstudio.com. They are a digital marketing firm devoted to purpose-driven business leaders, and their goal is to guide and support their customers as they realize the full potential of marketing to fuel both business and personal growth. Speaking from personal experience, I have worked with Relish on websites, logo design, and in fact, the editing of this very podcast. I can't say enough about them. And my friend Stu is just a wonderful human. He is totally in alignment in terms of environment and sustainability, two things I'm very passionate about. And in fact, their entire business is a 1% for the planet partner which means they're giving back a percentage of their revenue to environmental causes and organizations. I just love these guys. I can't say enough about them. If you decide to check them out and you want to hire them for a new job, make sure you mention the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast to them, and they will offer you a 10% discount off of their normal rate on their first engagement with you. Check them out, relishstudio.com. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. My name is Megan Hotman. I'm the host of your show, and I've been doing this for about three years, a little over three years. It started in August of 2018. Today's episode is a really long overdue episode. I host Pete Piccolo, Executive Director of Bicycle Colorado, the bicycle organization that is on the forefront of the advocacy work and making the cause of cycling on the top of mind for everyone here in the state and really the organization that deserves the bulk of the credit for making cycling as safe as it is here in Colorado and constantly pushing for more and for better. Uh, Pete's been at the head of the organization for four years now, and I wanted to talk to him about the state of bicycle advocacy and really more important what we can do to protect the longevity of our advocates, keep everyone mentally sound, um, keep our health and our enthusiasm and our energy topped off so that we can keep fighting for this very, very worthwhile cause. And I was really just curious what someone like him and his position at the head of an organization like theirs does to ensure that he can stay in the advocacy fight uh, in a sustainable way and, and that his team can as well. This interview was scheduled a few weeks ago, and in the meantime, I actually decided to announce my retirement from my work as the cyclist lawyer, which I've been doing for almost 12 years now. 
Um, this will be a transition phase. It's going to take at least a year or so for us to wind down the cases that we are currently handling and take good care of all of our current clients. So it will be a, a gradual exit, but it did finally really come clear to me uh, that it is time for me to transition from this work into something else. And it definitely jives with the topic that he and I talk about, which is just simply transitions and doing different things with one's life, not feeling that once a person has decided to do something as a job that they must you know, commit to it forever and ever and really honoring our callings and also honoring our sense that something is no longer serving us and it's time to move on and make space for those who are coming after us to pick up the torch and carry on. And um, just as a personal share, I, I've definitely been struggling with the decision for probably a year or two. It was certainly um, uh, accelerated or really you know, exponentially made more important and more critical for me to give thought to it when my friend Gwen was killed this past May. And just um, the work in this area has become, you know, really difficult just on a day-to-day -day basis. People texting and emailing and sending via direct message on Instagram, just literally daily someone or multiple people um, notifying me of a cyclist hit and killed here or a cyclist treated poorly here or someone that was nearly hit or a buzz or please get involved with the police to do this or please get the media involved for this and and really seeing a lot of the negative of um, of the harm that can happen with cyclists out and about and it's um, just frankly reached a point where it's time for me to transition and pivot and I'll certainly share more in the future months as I start to move away from this work. Um, but as we, we really got into the interview today, you know, Pete and I had a good discussion before we hopped on just talking about transition and just um, switching gears and pivoting. And I know that with the pandemic, a lot of people are really calling into question their work and their job and what they're doing with their life. Um, I will say that the timing is, is also not lost on me that a year ago, um, just a couple days ago, a year ago, I had a very, very close call in Golden while I was on my bike and a man behind me had a medical event in his vehicle, a, a stroke or something, and it prompted him to ex push the accelerator with his foot and he came through the intersection in downtown Golden just behind me. Um, doing 65 to 70 miles an hour, the police estimated and basically was closing in on me as I was riding completely and totally unaware in the bike lane that this was happening behind me. And I had been um, kept at the bank drive-in, uh, drive-through window for what felt like a really long time. I was making a deposit and it was like an unnaturally long wait. And um, I wasn't frustrated at the time. I just remember thinking that it was taking a lot longer than I would have expected and as it turned out, that delay at the bank truly did save my life because if I'd been in the intersection any sooner, if he'd been side by side with me or if uh, he had closed in on me prior to um, where he eventually drove up on a curb and slammed into a retaining wall, that, that would have certainly been lights out for me. So um, that moment and that day was a very powerful one for me. And it was not one that I just simply um, sort of was like, well, that was a close call and, you know, brushed off the brushed off the dust and moved on it has definitely stayed with me and it's been on the forefront of my thoughts as I've given really significant consideration to how I spend my time and how I spend my days and quite frankly the practice of law itself is quite catabolic in many respects it is conflict filled we are um, always listening with ears trying to catch someone in a lie or catch someone in a contradiction I'm always on guard, dealing with opposing counsel, waiting for the trick or the game that I didn't notice or the play. 
uh, as I've been going through my meditation teacher training these last few weeks, I'm about six weeks in on a six-month meditation teacher training, I've been really, really struck by the listening exercises that we're doing in our practice meditation sessions where I simply just get to listen to someone. Just listen. Just truly, truly listen and be present for them. I'm not looking for a gotcha moment. And in fact, all I'm really looking to do is listen for understanding and and then to reflect back to them what I've heard. Um, it's been a really powerful and magical experience to compare the difference between meditation teacher training and much of the training that I've received as a lawyer, specifically for depositions and other contexts where we truly are always listening for the opportunity to to, to contradict someone. And um, it should come as no surprise that that same set of listening uh, skills and, and tricks and techniques I've tended to bring into my personal life. And you, you probably aren't surprised to also learn that when you're listening to a loved one or a partner and you're sort of waiting for them to contradict themselves or misspeak um, so that you can play the same gotcha game, that doesn't lend itself well to really healthy personal relationships. So all that to say, I've got a lot more to unpack and share about my transition and my pivot in upcoming episodes. This one is just a week old, but I am in such a great space having made the announcement. And it was so wonderful then to be able to connect with Pete this morning, talk about his transitions from banking into public education, now into bike advocacy after a a stint in a startup and uh, exit as a founder of a startup. So he's truly done some really cool and different things with his professional life. And he's now doing an amazing job for us who, we who ride bikes here in Colorado. We, We owe a lot of debt of thanks and gratitude to Pete and his staff at Bicycle Colorado for the amazing work that they do. So please be sure you check out the links in the show notes for ways to get involved. Please calendar December 7th for Colorado Gives Day if you're here in Colorado. Um, please take his advice to heart in terms of what you can do if you are someone who rides bikes and identifies as a cyclist. We would welcome your involvement and your investment of time, money, and energy in the cause. And I hope that maybe this conversation also inspires you to give thought to your life and potential pivots or transitions that are awaiting you and what's on your horizon. Um, I'll also share, I'm reading a really great book right now called Letting Go, Um, It talks about the art, I believe, of surrender, and I'm blanking on the author's name right now, but he's an MD, PhD. I highly recommend it, and um, maybe you add that to your library list for some holiday reading. Hope this finds you all well. Have an awesome day. Have an awesome week. Life of maximum enthusiasm is right there waiting for you to grab it by by the horns, so please find opportunities and chances to seek out the good in the world, seek out the good in the people that you meet and find that maximum enthusiasm everywhere you look. Talk to you soon, friends. All right, my friend, Pete Piccolo, welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm good. It's wonderful to see you and and talk to you. You too. It's a beautiful Friday here in Colorado. We've managed to keep most of the leaves on the trees this fall. No early snowstorm this year. So it's been a, a I think one of the most like in memory record setting falls to be a cyclist to be out riding with yeah. these leaves changing this year. Yeah, I mean, it's been spectacular. And I'm looking at some leaves still outside my window. And um, yeah, it's the beauty of Colorado. We're lucky to live here. 
Totally. Totally. So Pete, have you, are you from Colorado? What's your origin story? Where are you from? Uh, I'm a Buffalonian, a uh, Western New Yorker. And, um, but left Buffalo in my early twenties. Uh, I'm now a couple of decades <laughs> older than that and had some stops between Buffalo and Denver. And I've been in Colorado for, oh my God, I don't know, north, just north of 15 years. Okay. And was there something specific that brought you here? Uh, lifestyle. Um, okay. You know, the first, the first phase of my professional career uh, as a young single person, I allowed or I chose to pursue career above all else and allowed that to uh, direct me towards, you know, where I lived. Um, but then pretty quickly in my late 20s, I flipped that paradigm and put um, location and community and lifestyle first and built a career around that. And so um, like a lot of people from outside of Colorado, we I would travel to Colorado all the time for vacation to um, explore the outdoors on foot, bike, skis, and just said, you know, I gotta, I gotta get here. Um, and I was out of Buffalo at that time. I mean, nothing against Buffalo. I love Buffalo, but you know, the difference between, they're beautiful outdoor places in New York state, of course, but you know, Colorado is super special. Uh, I just feel so lucky to live here. And so, um, you know, I made it a point to get here. My only regret, and I try not to live life with many regrets, um, is that I just didn't get here sooner. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be here now. I love it. Well, that's a, a really powerful insight into you and what drives you. And we're going to talk about what your current day job is in just a second. But before we hopped on the recording, we were talking about major transitions in life, sort of on the heels of me retire, uh, announcing my retirement last week from being the cyclist lawyer, and you mentioned that you've made some pretty big, what you what you term non-traditional transitions in your life. So do you care to tell us about one or two of those and maybe some advice you would give to people since so many people are giving so much thought to pivoting right now? You know, they're calling this the great resignation in many ways. So what advice would you give those folks? Yeah. Well, I can, I'll briefly describe the, the journey. I don't, I struggle with the advice a little bit and I know I okay. struggle because I have, I mean, I'll do my best, but okay. I have a 16 and a 15 year old and, you know, so we're talking about what happens after high school and building a life filled with joy and gratitude. And, you know, we talk about careers and priorities like money versus other things and I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling. I feel like I'm struggling to talk about it with my children, but. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, I, uh, so I grew up in a middle class, you know, kind of lower middle class family. Um, money was always a point of stress. I was one of five uh, kids and, you know, kind of blue collar, Western New York, worked in a steel mill in the summers. And so you know, living day to day, paycheck to paycheck was a defining feature of my youth. And I didn't want that. Um, I was the first to go to college and I just knew I wanted to make money. And so I got into banking um, just to make money. I mean, I, wearing a suit and tie was like success. And I'm wearing a suit and tie in an office and I'm making money. 
I didn't know anything. I'm 21. Um, and I don't know. I just, I don't know why I observed and learned what filled my cup, but I quickly learned that a fancier title in a bigger office, um, and more money wouldn't fill my cup. And, um, so fairly, well, it seemed fairly quick, but maybe not. So, you know, out of business school in my late twenties, I just left. Um, and I remember my mom and dad just scratching their heads. Again, a family that had to scrape tooth and nail to support five kids. Like I hit the Holy grail when I got into banking, it was making money and had nice clothes and they're just like, what are you doing? And I had nothing lined up. Um, and so I started a nonprofit, which again prompted a phone call from my mom. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, how are you going to make money taking kids biking? And I was part of um, Trips for Kids, which we have, you know, a couple in Colorado or one in Denver, which is now a lucky ride. Um, and so I was doing that for a couple of years and, you know, it did fill the heart, um, but kind of drain the wallet. And, um, I decided to get back into corporate America and I did a startup with some friends and it was kind of like big data. Um, but the lesson that I'd learned that I didn't carry forward at that decision was that title and money would not fill my cup and, um, ended up exiting that business then got into public education, um, focusing on innovation in public education. I launched this innovation lab to redesign learning um, and got burned out. Uh, it, that did fill my cup um, and allowed me to put food on the table and support my family. Um, and then I was just lucky enough to get a call from a friend who said, you know, I know you love public education and I know you love what you're doing, but there's this organization called Bicycle Colorado. I know you're also super passionate about biking and sustainable transportation. You know, you're one of those crazy people that rides their bike to work. And so I just, I took the call and talked to, I don't remember, it was a headhunter. And, you know, here I am four years later. So, you know, I guess I went from uh, banking to nonprofit to data to, uh, now Bicycle Colorado. And, you know, my again, my parents would say those are stupid decisions. My wife spent 28 years with one company. She just um, left. And so her experience yeah. is completely different to, than mine. And so I don't know. The advice is, like, just know what will fill your cup. Um and, and every, I think every role has pros and cons, like even my role. Um, and I have friends who have chosen to stay on the corporate path, friends who are still in banking, and they have more digits in their bank account, more stocks in their portfolio. But they've recognized those trade-offs. Like, you'll say to me, oh, you're so lucky to do this mission-driven work, and you have all these benefits that you do. But then I'm like, yeah, but I also don't have these things that you have. And you just have to recognize... Yeah the pros and cons of every decision and factor those into what is going to make me um, happy every day. Um, and so just to close by bringing this back to my kids, I mean, the one thing I said to them, well, first of all, my, my kind of um, aspirational do good 
vision of life is balanced. My wife has that, but she's just more practical. She's an engineer. Like you got to make money first. And I think there's truth to that. Like I, I was able to build a little bit of a nest egg, which provided me some flexibility to do a nonprofit, enter public education, you know, work at this nonprofit. Um, but I, you know, I do tell my kids, I'm like, maybe, you know, if a social worker is your thing. They're not paid very well. You just have to decide like, what's important for you and also recognize that it evolves for most people mm-hmm. as we age, as we build life experiences and cultivate wisdom. Like what filled my cup at 25 is different than what fills my cup at 52. Um, yep. And I try to remain open to that and try to can just continue to evolve as, as a human and adjust my life accordingly. I love it. I think there's some really awesome takeaways in there. And one big one that I heard, frankly, is just giving oneself permission to say with, with respect to your, um, your public education experience, it filled your cup basically until it didn't. And that was the burnout phase that you said you hit. And so we do, it is okay also for us to give ourselves permission to shift gears when something no longer serves us. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And you have to ask yourself what, like, what's keeping me here? And is that, you know, just despite what's pulling me away, what's keeping me here? And, you know, do I need to let go of some of that stuff? Like, is this commitment I feel, um, you know, really healthy for, for me and the pe- my family and the people around me? Um, and just saying, you know, it's okay. Like, I did have a, a moment. There was a period of time where I felt like I abandoned that cause, the public education cause, and I abandoned my team, like all the things that were keeping me there probably longer than I should have stayed. And I had to give my per- myself permission to say, you know, you can move on. And then, and frankly, also, I just told myself, like, I'm not, just not that important. Um, <laughs> you know, there's going to be the next Pete that steps in and it will do that and hopefully do it better. Um, and, you know, then have the courage to, to make that decision, you know, and there's, right. it takes courage. It's scary. And for, for, at least it was scary for me. Um, and, you know, that's okay. Like the fear is okay. It's how you manage that fear and be able to work through that fear to find the courage to make those really hard decisions and make, take that leap. Yes. Yeah, staying where we are is always easy just simply because it's a known. Anytime you leap into the unknown, there's all kinds of terrifying things that come with that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, but as you said, reevaluating your why. You know, I started this thing with this intent, like your, your public service or your nonprofit. I had this specific intent. And then as things evolve, really saying, mm, is that why still true to me? Am I now doing this because I feel I should? Am I doing it because I don't want to abandon my team? Is this still true to me? And I realize that these are all very privileged assessments that we get to make as people who have the flexibility and the opportunities to pivot. And I don't want to sort of minimize those opportunities that we have. Um, But to your point, certainly I started in the line of work that I did 12 years ago with a very specific why and a very specific calling. And as I got into the work, I, I truly, like, I didn't have Sunday scaries. I couldn't wait for Monday. I often would work on the weekends because I couldn't wait to do the work. There was no such thing as punching out or clocking out because I just loved it and couldn't wait to do it all the time. It, it truly lit me up all the time. And then suddenly I became aware of the fact that that wasn't 
so much the case anymore. And, um, and then I just started to get curious around why. And what I love about your point was we aren't that important. We have this belief that, you know, if we don't do it, no one will, or they'll never, we're going to leave this huge vacuum when we step away. And the truth is that the world will be just fine. And these organizations will be just fine. And the people we've served, someone new will step in and do it in a new and cool, different way. And, um, you know, just even experiencing that last week, I announced my retirement on Thursday night. I got a ton of really great, loving online comments Friday. And then as I totally expected, basically within 24 hours, it's a non-issue. And I think that's also important for us to all remember too, is, is the decisions we make, I think are so important to us because it's our life and it's our reality and the water we swim in. But we aren't, it's not that big of a deal to the rest of the world. And I think that's a healthy perspective to have to sort of remember our smallness sometimes. Yes, I, I agree. Um, there is a regenerative process that happens in the world, including the human sphere, um, where I think it's healthy in sectors and organizations and teams to you know, have that kind of natural um, cycling in and cycling out. Yeah. The turnover. Yeah. I also, let me just throw one other thought as you're thinking through your pivot. Um, so I don't think decisions like this necessarily need to be binary where I'm engaged and now I'm completely disengaged. You can restructure your engagement with a cause to open up some space for you to heal or invest your time in other things. And so what I did in public education is it was no longer my full-time job, but I sit on the board of an education nonprofit. Um, You know, and I kind of still stay plugged into the cause, but in a way that allowed other people to come in and do the work that I used to do in a way that allowed me to, uh, some of my scars to heal in a way that allows me to now focus on this advocacy work. bicycling ability so it's not just like again i'm going to turn the the lights off shut the door and walk away right i'm just going to find a different space at a different spot in this space or in this organization to do you know different work yeah yeah certainly well on that note you won't see me exiting bike advocacy as a big picture i'm Mm -hmm. always going to be in this world and and i still think bikes can save us if we'll let them and they're the best thing probably even before sliced bread, in my opinion. <laughs> so thank, on that note. Thank God. I'm not saying that to patronize you, to make you feel good, but thank God. Because um, it would be a loss if you did shut the lights off, shut the door, and just kind of left this cause altogether. Um, yeah, no, bikes are bikes, bikes are too worth fighting for, which I know you share. You We, we drink the same Kool-Aid, and so for those that – are tuning in that may not know you, Pete is the head of Colorado's most premier and productive bicycle uh, advocacy organization known as Bicycle Colorado and really sets the bar so high for the entire country, in my opinion. Um, And you've been with the organization four years now as the um, executive director and you have done some phenomenal work for the state and for cyclists. And before we hopped on the call, we were also sort of sharing the 
the difficulties of being in bike advocacy or probably just being involved in any cause that one feels strongly about. I imagine folks in, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving or any of these other very worthwhile causes experience some of the same things that we do, which is just that we do see sort of the worst that can happen to cyclists on a day-to-day basis because of our roles in it. People bring it to us and we see all the hard things that can happen and I see a lot of burnout in bike advocacy, I think in part because of that, because it can be so much all the time. So tell us how you maintain a, a healthy, optimistic perspective and boundary around your work and within your work and how you stay in love with bikes as you do your day to day. Just the small questions, you know. <laughs> oh. um. Why are bikes worth fighting for? Well, I mean, that's a different question. Why bikes are worth fighting for? Let me tackle your first question about sustaining ourselves. So first, I I do want to point out, in my opinion, work that is intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting is valuable and meaningful work. And that's the work that I want to do. Um, I couldn't imagine, and I'm grateful to have that opportunity. Um, I couldn't imagine going back to work where I didn't have that full commitment, where I would do, I you know, clock in at nine and clock out at five. Um, that could be for some people, you know, but that's that's not for me. And so, you know, I grateful to be able to have that. And it's, it's exhausting. And so the question is, well, how do you sustain yourself? Um, first, I do think the answer to that is highly personal. Um, and, but I, I I can offer just a couple of thoughts or recommendations, like what works for me and our team may not work for you or others listening or other teams. Um, first it's, it's important to recognize that the work is hard. You have to prepare for that, that it's going to be stressful, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually demanding work. Um, So you and I were chatting before we hopped on that the one thing that I didn't prepare for, nobody told me about, were the conversations with family members of people who have been killed or seriously injured um, in a crash. And... I don't know why I didn't think of that because I knew it was there and, and that drew me to the cause. But when I was interviewing for the role and during the first couple of weeks before the purity of the gig was pierced by someone getting killed and having to talk to a spouse, um, I just didn't know. So, you, I mean, depending on how you're going to engage yeah. in this cause, just know that it's not hard work and, you know, prepare yourself for that and begin to think about or ask yourself, like, what are my, my limits or boundaries? Because we all have limits or boundaries. And I come back and share a thought on that. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I, I think it's really important to have a vision for what success looks like. And you have to believe that whatever that vision is, it can be achieved. So, for example, okay. um, I believe with all my heart and my brain, because there's data behind this, there are case studies behind this, that we can eliminate all traffic fatalities, not just people who ride bikes, 
or walk, vulnerable users, but all traffic fatalities. And we can talk about that if you want. But I know it can be done. And that gives me a sense and my team a sense of self-efficacy and agency that what we want to accomplish is possible, right? Otherwise, I think there's this sense of futility, like what's the point? Right. But we can make progress. Um, third, I think it's really important to celebrate all progress, like small wins. I want a three foot to pass sign on this road. Now that sign isn't going to eliminate all traffic fatalities, but that's a win, right? And that's you a got, win. You got to celebrate all the wins because the systemic change that'll happen through the accumulation of a lot of small wins and a couple of big wins will ultimately get us to eliminating traffic fatalities or achieving the big goal. And so you got to celebrate the small wins. Um, next, the work is just too hard to do alone. I am yeah. incredibly grateful to be surrounded by remarkable people. And that team provides uh, emotional and intellectual support. Um, like we all have good days and bad days, yeah. um, which means I have people to talk to. And then outside of Bicycle Cloud Road, people like you, like, but there's a community, right? And you gotta tap into that community, not just to solve problems, but to support each other. And to also then be able to say, like, I need to step out of this one. Um, I, I cannot be at the front line on this one and carry the flag on this one because I have, you know, whatever the reason may be, I've hit my limit, I've right. hit my boundary, and there's going to be somebody else there to say, okay, I am going to go to the front line and I'm going to carry the flag. So, like, in my team, as an example, I tell folks, like, somebody calls in when we were in the office every day and you pick up the phone. And it could be um, the spouse of somebody, you know, who lost a, a, a loved one, somebody who's killed. And I've had teammates be like, oh, shit. And they, oh, you know, yeah. they didn't like expect that. And frankly, there no. are people, we have roles on our team like, that's not your, you don't have to do that. That's not your job. Like, you don't have to take that call. You can just say, hold on, let me get somebody else to talk to you. Right. And so, I mean, so surround yourself with people that can step in, take the flag and, and lead the charge. You don't have to do that. Um, That's huge. And I think, um, I mean, two other recommendations is we need to, in my opinion, work with urgency. We can talk about that as well, like why I think it's important we work with urgency. But you also have to prepare for the marathon for the longer haul. Yeah. It means from time to time, you know, you may need to just dial things back as I just alluded to. Um, and that means you have to you have to pay attention to and care for your, your mental health. And back to your point, give yourself permission to be like, you know, I am not superhuman. Like we all have our limits. Um, and you have to like recognize those limits and give yourself permission to, to take care of yourself. Um, and then and finally, not all the work within this cause, um, is equally demanding. There is work that like teaching kids to ride bikes is super important. Um, now one may argue like, well, that's not going to save lives. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But mm, well, it does I connect think it does. to the cause, right? You know, 
and it's still important and it brings joy, right? So again, don't feel like you need to go to every ghost bike ceremony. You need to attend every trial. You need, you know, like the emotionally draining work. Yep. There's other work and bikes are fun to ride and it brings joy and, it, you know, it's a wonderful experience. And so like sharing that with others, like teaching kids to ride, it's great, you know? And so maybe create a portfolio of work or volunteer activities that doesn't always have you doing the most stressful work all the time. Um, something. It's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, yeah, I would love to round back because really part of the point of why I asked you on this podcast was to talk about some of the big picture stuff too, but but also um, more granular level of, of getting people involved in bike advocacy and then keeping them there. We don't want to lose our committed advocates to burnout or overwhelm or whatever. whatever. I, I do just see people struggling to stay in bike advocacy for a long time, both because of the heaviness sometimes of the topics we're dealing with, as well as, as you mentioned, sort of this endurance, turning the Titanic, things don't happen quickly, so people ultimately lose interest. And really, I also want and intend to try and recruit more folks to help us in this, um, this bike advocacy yeah pursuit, which is just so important and critical for so many reasons. So you mentioned working with a sense of urgency. Um, why is that in both bike advocacy and in general, why is that important? Well, the world around us is not static. It is changing and it is changing in ways that require uh, bolder solutions sooner. And I will just point folks to data on fatalities um, to, underscore, to underscore this point. So um, we have been able to find data that begins in 2002, published by CDOT on fatalities by mode, bicycles, pedestrian, motorcycles, vehicles. Um, and so in 2002, nine bicyclists were killed. It peaked in 2018, 22 were killed. Um, and I, th I think we're just north of 15 now, but don't hold For this year? Yeah. But over this time period, let's, so let's just say 2022, from 2002 to, to 2022, 228 people have been killed. Over that same time period, 1,221 pedestrians have been killed. And then total fatalities, traffic fatalities over this time period, including people in vehicles, 10,837 people, including 611 people last year. So again, it does not need to be that way. Um, I mean, I, it can get to, to zero. So the trend lines are not moving in the right direction, although it's getting safer for people in vehicles due to, mostly due to technology, but it's becoming less safe for people outside of Right. Vehicles. And there are numerous factors driving that, um, which shape the world in which we live. Like we have significantly more people living here and sharing essentially the same physical space, right? From 2002 to 2020, the population balloon. I think we're at 5.8 million right now in Colorado. We're projected to grow to 8.5 by 2050. And so you're cramming more people in the same space, wow. right? Um and, you know, we're driving bigger vehicles. Phones have been introduced during this time, right? So the, 
the point I'm making is the world around us is dynamic and it's evolving in ways that require us to get ahead of those changes. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, surely but slowly, we're going to get, you know, people who ride bikes, who want to walk, we're going to get squeezed out of that space. We're going to have more, right. more roads that you just don't ride on, right, anymore. And it's, you know, it kind of sneaks up on you in that, you know, unlike, say, a mountain bike trail, let's say there's a wildlife issue on a mountain bike trail. Um, you know, I guess there is some gradual um, loss of trail space, but there are scenarios where you're like, we're just shutting down this trail. It's no longer right. safe to ride. We have a wildlife issue, some conservation issue. But on a road, like, yeah, you could still ride on 36 in Boulder, but 36 in Boulder was a lot different in 2000 than it is in 2021. The That's risk so is true. significantly higher. I, have, I hear so many stories. Like, I used to ride here. And yep. Yeah, I could ride there today. You know, I'm not by law permitted from riding there. But what rational person is going to ride their bike here, right? And yep. so it's not like it's lost, but it is lost. And it's, it's not overnight. Like you said, it's gradual. It's gradual. And, you know, and it's different for different people because our tolerance for risk varies, like our comfort level. Yep. And we have to be, you know, cautious of that. But soon as it's like, for me, it's like, if you're not comfortable putting your kids there, then we got a big problem. That's right. right. I'm, I'm not, we're not trying to build a world that frankly meets my standard of risk tolerance or my comfort. It's for, you know, the, the children. Because um, yep. if it's good for the kids, then it's good for everyone. So the world's changing. It's changing really quickly. And um, if we don't keep up with that change, if we don't work with urgency, we're just going to see, we're going to lose places to ride. Uh, we're not going to get ahead of the, the climate challenge before us. We're not going to solve it. And sadly, to be blunt, the fatality data, I mean, not only will we not hit zero, it'll continue to trend in the wrong direction. I'll just give you, I'll just give you one last data point, just focusing on Sure. Denver. So first of all, it can be done. Talk about that if you want, why I think that's the case. But Denver adopted Vision Zero. So for your listeners who are not familiar with that, it's a global campaign to eliminate traffic fatalities. So Denver adopted Vision Zero as a goal and built a plan around it in 2017. And since then, fatalities have gone up. 2019, I think where we were in, like at that time, it was like 50, low 50s. 2019, 71 people died in Denver just getting around town. Car, bike, scooter, walking. Um, it did dip in 2020 uh, due to the pandemic. 57 people died. But now we're trending up again. So okay. as of October 29, 68 people have died in Denver, just getting around town. And so extrapolate that forward for November, December. I mean, we had 10 deaths from September to October. I mean, we're going to surpass the all-time record 2019 of 71 fatalities. Wow. Um, and so it's not that it can't be done. We're just not working with the urgency to implement what we know will curb that trend line. Um, yep. And well, there is, I can the, already tell what, go ahead. I just, there is, by the way, I just want to acknowledge, because some people may say, 
well, Pete and Megan, you just talked about sustaining oneself through this work. Um, and working with urgency seems to be counter to that. And we have, we have to find a way to do both. Again, it takes a community um, and collectively we can work yeah. with urgency. It doesn't mean that you need to be going full speed ahead like you, Megan, every single day. You don't need, you don't need to be on the front line every day carrying the flag, but the movement needs to be Does. charging every day and people need to be carrying the flag. Yeah. No, that's important. That's a, that's an important distinction. Like taking your poles on the front of the Peloton, but not sitting on the front for the whole race. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'd really like. To, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can talk about where this goes wrong, and I I think maybe it would be great to have a part two of this at some point and really follow up with some of the the deeper topics of bike advocacy. But for the last ten minutes, I would love to hear because again, I want to inspire people. I'm highly motivated by the cause of bikes, not just because I believe in them, but certainly from a climate perspective, and not watching people die doing something that's a really important addition to our society, people transporting themselves by bike. So I would love to hear for the last 10 minutes why you do believe that Vision Zero and people traveling around outside of cars but not being killed is totally doable, why we can absolutely walk and bike where we need to go. And you see that as a part of our very legitimate future. And then I'd love to hear what Bicycle Colorado needs, both in terms of human power, donations, volunteers, you know, what is the advocacy call that we can make yeah. to everyone listening? Yeah. Um, so first, why I believe it's possible, why we can't eliminate all traffic fatalities. Um, first, a somewhat rhetorical response, which still has merit. So I was in a conversation not too long ago with a public official, a leader, and trying to get them to embrace Vision Zero and setting a goal of zero traffic fatalities. And this person said, well, it's not possible. I'm not going to put a goal out there that's not achievable. Um, oh, wow. And then I, well, I said, well, how many deaths are acceptable? And yep. you know, again, it's a kind of rhetorical tactic. Um, but I worked to convince them that um, the, the, the merits of putting a goal out there of zero and why it's achievable. And so all we need to do is look outside the borders of Colorado and frankly, the United States to, to see right. examples of progress being made. Now, there are people who will say and have told me, well, we're not, we're not Europe, we're America. And I say, yeah, you know, we have to be cautious of making comparisons, but to discount entirely the experiences of other cities, even cities outside of America and say we have nothing to learn from them is a huge mistake. Right. It's a huge, we're, we're all humans at the end of the day making choices that impact our safety. And we've gotten in this situation of, frankly, having a car-dependent world and a high-risk transportation system that pollutes our air by choice. This is a human right. design, right? So I will just give you one example um, in Norway. So Oslo, which is a city roughly the size of Denver, had um, at one point, about 20 years ago, the same number of traffic fatalities. Um, the comparison was not quite apples to apples, but there were numerous similarities between Oslo and Denver. They were car-centric, uh, polluted air, and people were dying. 
2019, they eliminated, eliminated all but one traffic fatality. All vulnerable user fatalities were eliminated. And the one fatality was somebody driving ran into a fence. So if we oh, elevate wow. and look at the country of Norway, so here again, Norway is roughly the size of Colorado, 5.4 million people. And they committed Division Zero, had a similar number of deaths around 2000 uh, as Colorado. And through November of 2022, which is the last data that, that I could find, there were 80 deaths. There were 600 deaths in Colorado. <laughs> so, you know, they've committed to it and they have turned the... Uh, the curve they've totally turned the tide. They've yeah, totally, they've totally they've totally turned it, um, and we know what to do. Like everyone knows what it'll take. Um, the solutions are before us. This isn't a challenge of exploration. Like oh my god, like here's this problem. We need a novel solution. Like we know what to do. Now it's not easy, um, but we need political will and we need community demand um, to implement a set of solutions around infrastructure and laws and policies and again maybe that's part two of the podcast but yeah we know what to do we have examples of it being done the fact that people are dying is to be blunt is by choice it's by choice yep we're making choices not only just individual choices of like am i going to look at my phone am i going to speak but as a public system, because we're using public space to move around, uh, our public leaders and sometimes residents through tax measures and other public mechanisms, we are making choices to not make the investments uh, that will improve safety. And it's, at the end of the day, again, there's no divine force outside of our control that is imposing a trend the current system that we have today these are our choices nope. and we can make choices to improve it we need the political will and we need the demand which brings me to your second question the demand in like bicycle colorado yeah um, i tend to get wonky so forgive me that's just the way my no you're doing great i'll this try awesome. to, i'll try to um put this in a simple framework so i think about like everyday bicyclists, um, and like how to get people engaged. So I, I think about it in terms of this ladder of engagement from like lower engagement to higher engagement. Every engagement is important. What I do struggle with is no engagement at all. So I wanna respect the fact that, and honor the fact that we are all busy people. We have numerous, there are numerous causes that are fighting for the attention and resources of people, whether it's, Yes. Curing an illness, homelessness, public education. It's long, long list. Like, and, and they're super important causes. I have to confess that I do struggle with the fact that so many people who ride bikes and are passionate about it, like their life style and their identity is shaped by the fact like I am a bicyclist. I do rec rides, I race or I bike commute. I have bikes in my garage. I have vacations around bikes. I have bike yep. clothes like I'm wearing, like this nice sweater. Like, you know, part of my yep. identity that don't give back to the cause in any way. That don't I step totally on, agree. That don't step on the first ladder of engagement. And I part of that is falls to 
to like me and my role, like I am partially to blame because I have not been able to reach, we have not been able to reach people and, and inform them about the cause and like the solutions that we're pursuing and providing them an opportunity to make a difference. I've talked to people who are like, God, I have no idea. Like, you know, I just thought my tax dollars like creates this infrastructure, like the fact that we need advocacy. I just never thought about it. You know, I just kind of assume that people are going to die. Right. Oh, wow. And, well, you know, like it, seriously, when you unpack it, it's like, you know, humans are flawed and we're going to make stupid choices. And the fact that 600 people are going to die every year in Colorado, it's simply going from point A to point B. That's just life. I'm like, no, actually. No. <laughs> you know, it's not. It doesn't have to. It's silly when you think about it. So, like, we have an opportunity. I have a responsibility in my team, like, to get to those people. But then when we lay that out, then it's up to them to step on that first ladder of engagement. So there are numerous ways people can do this work. And, again, we all have our limits. We only have so much capacity. The demands on our lives, particularly during a pandemic, are enormous. And so... Like, I don't expect every person to do like what, what you do. We have some volunteers and you know them that are just remarkable Th through uh, during their free time. Somehow they create right. time in their lives to do extraordinary things. I'm like, you are a better person than me. I don't know how you totally do this, but at minimum, when you're out on a bike, um, like, I don't want, let me just for a second, like, I don't want to point the blame to bicyclists, but the way the world works today is I think we have a higher level of responsibility to show up our very best when we're on a bike and, Amen. Set, and to set an example. I wish it weren't that way, but we need to be friendlier and be hypersensitive to how the choices we make while riding a bike. Yes. Um, and it just is the way it is. And so I wish every person who's riding would see themselves as an ambassador just by the actions on their bike. Um, yes. You know, just the other day I was riding on the Cherry Creek Trail here, which is, you know, just outside of Denver. It's increasingly busy, which is in a way wonderful with people moving in different ways, not just on bikes, but scooters and walking and pushing strollers. And so, you know, I'm, I, I put on the Lycra, I have a fancy road bike, I like to train, but I no longer, like during this one stretch of Cherry Creek Trail, use it to train. Like I am realizing, like, I am going to slow down. These two people the other day, because I was slowing down for a woman in a stroller ahead of me and, you know, kind of hitting my bell, went flying by me, like really close. I'm just like, what the... Not you know, worth it, and such a bad, minute. such a bad impression. Like, and I get the fact that you know the endorphins are going, and maybe they're training, but you have to be like hyper. Again, this is the first level of game. So how you show up on your bike really matters, and to go out of your way to make good choices, and to be you know frankly friendly to the people around you in cars, like you know, hey, yep. it's whatever. Um, if you don't have time, but you have a little extra cash. There are organizations at the local level, the state level, like Bicycle Colorado, and at the federal level that need those resources. So if you cannot exercise your voice in a public meeting, you don't have time to volunteer because your life doesn't allow for that. That's okay. 
But if you can write it, and every dollar amount helps, like write a check, right? Totally. Support those organizations to speak on your behalf. Continue to move up the ladder, and I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, These are good, though, so far. you got to stay informed. Again, the world is changing. The advocacy movement is changing. And like, if you follow Bicycle Colorado and get our um, newsletter every other week, there's a section in there, what we're reading. And I think it's a pretty- It's uh, great. Impactful. It's such a good list. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good list. I mean, we're out there scouring the world and there's a lot of good stuff happening. So if you can educate yourself and then like be a spokesman at the neighborhood barbecue. Um, yep. You know, I'm asked, even before I was doing this work, people know I ride a bike and people would ask. And, you know, people like we'll talk about kids riding their bikes to schools. I mean, it's, it, it, it is starting to surface more and more in just everyday conversations. Well, you need some basic fluency to talk about it, right? Like why speed limit regulation is important. Why big vehicles that we love are not ideal. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff. Totally. So you have, like stay educated. So those are three like low demand um, things that people can do to support the cause. And then, you know, you continue to go up to this, the higher um, steps of this ladder of hierarchy. And we get folks like our friends, Gary Hardy and Mike Raber. And, you know, these guys are like superheroes in my book who just are extraordinary. Totally. You know, that's, again, that's probably a conversation for another time. But I think people, just to wrap up, Megan, I mean, like people just need to know that if you're riding your bike one day and there's a nice shoulder, let's say it's a five foot shoulder, you're feeling pretty good about it. And let's say there's a rumble strip, even better. And let's say there's a three foot to pass sign. This is great. Let's say you hop off of that shoulder and you're going to get on now a bike path to connect somewhere else. My bike path, beautiful. You know, no cars are around. That infrastructure does not fall from the sky. Unfortunately, our public institutions do not work in a consistent, effective way to ensure that that stuff happens. It takes advocacy. And so if you're riding that and you're enjoying that and you're asking yourself, what have I done to help make this happen? Now I'm just talking more, more holistically, right? No, and you're doing, I, and you're, I like where you're going with this. And you're doing nothing and you're this, this passionate, you know, rider like you and I, then I think you really got to ask you like, well, what can I do? I'm going to step on this first ladder of engagement and send five bucks to, I don't know, like Fort Collins or bicycle around. I'm going to sign up for newsletters, right. And just stay informed. And I'm going to talk to my friends about it. And I'm going to talk to my other riding friends who are also not engaged and just say, Hey, you need, to, I think you should sign up for this newsletter or Colorado Gives Day is around the corner, you know, throw, throw some change over to these organizations because what we just experienced today just didn't fall out of the sky. You know, these That's organizations, totally advocates made it happen. And if you want to have this, sustain it and expand it um, and to feel safe and you want your kids to feel safe, then you need to support the cause. Amen. And if I could just add on to that, because I experience this a lot with my social media, and I'm sure Bicycle Colorado does too, the number of comments and DMs I get specifically on Instagram and Facebook 
of, of cyclists, and I know they do this with the best of intent, but it's this, we should, we should X, we should Y, we should contact so-and-so lawmaker, we should get the media on this, we should get a sign here. You know, they take the time to send the comment on the social media and the we collectively is truly the we collectively. And I just would encourage people to keep that in mind that if you have the time to send a comment to Bicycle Colorado or the cyclist lawyer and essentially imploring us to take action on something, that very same effort and time could have been set aside to send an email to a city council member or a senator or to Bicycle Colorado saying, I'm in on this issue, add me to a committee or something like that. Um, I think this knee-jerk sort of social media game uh, is serving to be very counterproductive. Yeah, no, that's a, a very, very good point. And just to build on it, Megan, I, I'm surprised. Well, I guess I'm not surprised. So, <laughs> many, so many people don't believe their voice matters. Like there's, yeah. just, there's a lack of trust right now in government, which I, which I, you know, I get. Um, but even before that, there was this like lack of self-efficacy, like, oh, my voice doesn't matter. I mean, look how many people don't vote. Like my vote doesn't matter. Totally. Like, why would I write my state representative? So I can promise your listeners this. Well, not with every state representative, but most state representatives, most, most elected officials listen. And, do. and when enough people, and it doesn't take a lot. I was surprised actually how little like email and phone calls and maybe political pressure is required to get people to listen and take action to support your life. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And so like for the progress we make, like it's not the gift of my rhetoric, me sitting down with representative and convincing him or her to like do something. It is the collective effort and just that email, like the email, the text, right. message, phone call. You just do it. It's it makes a difference. Amen. And I'd much rather they spend that time sending an email to their legislator than to you or I saying, "Hey guys, we should do X." <laughs> yeah. All right, for our listeners, they need to check out bicyclecolorado.org. And as you mentioned, Colorado Gives Day is coming up on what? That's usually early November, November fifth or something like this that. This one is. Uh, I think they pushed it back this year, um, Megan. I think it's December. I'm looking it up right okay. now. Okay. Colorado. Sorry Bay. to put you on the spot. No, I, you know, I should know. We were just talking about it. Um, we were just talking about it this week on the team. It is, uh, oh, man. I can't find it now. I just, I'm on their page, and it's not even on here. I see that. I'm looking also. December 7th. <laughs> okay, well. December 7th. Okay. And the really beautiful thing about Colorado Gives Day, especially as it applies to organizations like Bicycle Colorado, is that that's a huge opportunity to often have funds matched. And it's a really significant opportunity for Bicycle Colorado to map out its budget for the next year. And it can really take a donation and exponentially increase its impact. So that's a huge day to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for flagging for sure. And then this year's, you know, supply chain issues and all the things like, let's just skip buying stuff completely for all the reasons and give all of our loved ones a, an honorary donation uh, or in memoriam donation to Bicycle Colorado or the bike advocacy group of their choosing. Um, 
Pete, thanks so much for your time. I would love to do a part two at some point. We'll give people time to digest this, but I so appreciate your personal story and your leadership for the organization and all you do for bikes. Likewise, thanks for reaching out and truly thank you for everything that you have done over the years. And I'm excited for My pleasure. what's next for you. What's next? Yeah, we shall see. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. See ya. Thanks, Pete. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com. 